We've been considering the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount because these are some of the most famous sayings of Jesus. We've parked on these words because these sayings, in light of the resurrection from the dead, after Jesus raised, was raised from the dead, he crossed over from the threshold of being a person that we might consider to be giving us opinions to being the God-man who reveals truth. He validated his words. He said, look, take it to the bank, cash it, it is there. The funds will clear. He fulfilled every word, and we, when we encounter truth, because his words are trustworthy, we don't have the privilege, the discretion, to just say, oh, I think I like that or I think I don't like it. I think I'll take it, I think I won't. We have to respond. We have to respond to truth. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, this is what it says. Let's pick up in verse 7. We've gone through all the other Beatitudes up to this point. Here it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Amen. On the morning of October 2nd, 2006, Charles Carl Roberts barricaded himself inside of West Nickel Mines Amish School. And after this man murdered five young girls, he wounded six others. Roberts decides to turn the gun on himself. And he takes his life. It was a very dark day for the Amish community of West Nichols Mines. But it was also a very dark day for Marie Roberts and her two young children, the family of the gunman. Now, I know this is a heavy story. And I pray with all my heart that none of us here can ever relate to that deep sorrow of that Amish community. That none of us would be able to relate to the grief that was experienced by Marie and her children. However, I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every single one of us here has been wronged at some point, have we not? Every single person here has been wronged. Whether we have been slandered, falsehoods so far from the truth have been said and spoken about us. And we could not even come and, and deal with those. Some of us have possibly, you know, gotten backstabbed because of business dealings with people we thought we could trust. People that seem to have our best interest. Others here, maybe you experienced, despite your very earnest efforts and all that you did in order to do your very best, maybe you've experienced a terrible, terrible divorce. And now it feels like that betrayal has left your soul shredded to pieces. Every single one of us have gone through something. Maybe somebody in this room, you endured abuse or an absent parent who left you to fend for yourself and, and you've walked through life. It's left you walking through life feeling like you have no guidance to navigate your way through. Maybe it wasn't a gunman, but am I hitting closer to home? And in the middle of all this, Jesus, you know, shows up on the scene as he always ups the ante. He shows up on the scene and he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Friends, what does this mean? See, you know, naturally, our hearts are inclined to go in one of two directions. Whenever we, we go through some challenge, you know, I, I'm reminded of, of, there was this movie, I even forgot the name of it, but uh, Jamie Foxx is in it, and it's all about Middle East and the FBI and all that other stuff and, and terrorism and all this other things. And there's a scene in the movie where there was a, an attack that happened at a base, and then the attack was orchestrated so that people would come and flock and the emergency responders would be there. And then after they got there, that's when the real attack happened. A second bomb goes off. 
And in the midst of that scene, one of the FBI agents whispers something in the, in the ear of another that you don't know what they say until the very end of the movie. And there's this cycle that happens as they're now coming to retaliate and deal with that, that, that attack and get to the bottom and find the terrorists and the people that did it. Eventually, the movie comes full circle where the terrorists are captured or executed. But right before that happens, the scene repeats itself where the man who's about to be taken out, the terrorist, whispers the very same thing in the ear of his grandson. And basically, it's a tit for tat. It's the message of vengeance. They hit us, we're going to hit back harder. See, when we go through pain and somebody wrongs us, we have this inclination either to get revenge for tat or we go in the opposite direction where we brush it off and say, oh, it's no big deal. It, didn't, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't matter. It's all right. It, it's no biggie. And we shrug it off and we put it away and we don't deal with it. But is this mercy? Are either of these extremes what Jesus is bringing to the forefront? in the midst of very real wrongdoing and hurt. What does it mean to show mercy? Mercy is kind forbearance towards an undeserving offender. Say forbearance. Now, for, for those of you graduates who are in repayment, you guys, you guys came to know what this word meant, right? You've come to know what this word means throughout this pandemic. Some of, of us in, in this process of repayments and loans, uh, we can go ahead in this moment and say, thank you, Jesus, for this thing called forbearance. Because during the pandemic, it was decided, the federal government told all the student loan services to extend a forbearance to tell them, hey, you put a hold and a stop to all the payments and to all the interest accruals. And give people a break because maybe the pandemic has affected their income and they might not be able to comply with the burden of repayment. And many people, many offenders, all right, let's, let's just, it, offenders, because why? We totally deserve to pay those student loans back. Each and every one of us, myself being included, deserved to actually, in the midst of that pandemic, irrespective of whether my income was impacted or not, I deserved, per the terms and agreements of my loan, to make a payment every month without fail. I deserved for them to charge interest because it was an agreement of the condition of the loan before I took it out. It was deserved for me to pay it back. Why? Because I knowingly, intentionally borrowed money that wasn't mine to do something I couldn't afford because even it was a good thing, not saying it's a bad thing to go get an education, but I didn't have the money. I took the loan. I deserved to pay it back. Yet there was this season of forbearance that was afforded to me. And I took advantage of that. And that night we, we just you know, said, all right, we're going to keep paying anyways. And we paid off our balance. And a lot of people did the same thing. No interest. Some with huge loans. No interest. Man, I can, I can snowball that and pay it off. And some people did that. Forbearance. Forbearance. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. What Jesus is getting at here in this beatitude is he's saying that mercy is not giving you what you deserve. Go ahead and tell, look at your neighbor and say, mercy is not getting what you deserve. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. How, how then, if Jesus is bringing this up, I want you to notice something here. We've talked about, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There, there's all of these blessed beatitudes that we've been sharing and hearing about in these last several weeks. And all of these speak about a certain attitude of the heart, a, a certain disposition within us. But now we're starting to get into 
a different dynamic of, of, of these blessed statements that have to do with the outflow of those attitudes. Each one of them are building on the other. And now we come to this place. And in light of that story I told you in the beginning, Jesus tells us in the midst of our pain, we are to be merciful. Now, I just hear that and I say, that is beyond my ability, period. Anybody here with me? Man, sometimes just my kids in the car, I'm having one of those days and I'm just like, can everybody, if I wish I had a remote that had a mute button on it for life. And that's just a kid that I love, you know, and that is a trivial thing. But to show mercy in the face of abuse, hurt, and offense. I just hear this and I say, God, I'm checking out because this ain't for me. But he says, blessed are the merciful. We're called to, to live in the outflow of this in our lives. So, so I want us to consider a couple of things today. How do we grow in mercy? All right, how, how does this actually become evidence in our life? How does it become part of our lives? How do we embody this thing that Jesus is calling us to? Let's step into this. First, I think it begins, if we're going to grow mercy in our lives, if we're going to experience it in our hearts, it's going to begin by us accepting that you are an example of mercy. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, the one that you ignored, okay? Not the one you talked to earlier, the other one you ignored. Go ahead and tell them right now. You are an example of mercy. <clears throat> did, you, did you hear that? Say it again. Let them hear it one more time. You are an example of mercy. I know some of you guys heard that and you almost just you know, choked on your own spit. Why? Because immediately in your mind, you're remembering the, the last post you put up on social media. Maybe some of us, you know, when, when, when we heard that, we gave a dry smile. Why? Because we remember the exchange we had with that person that just knows how to get under our skin. You are an example of mercy. See, all of us were created in God's image, were we not? Genesis, in the very beginning, we are the image bearers of God. And God, as he put his image upon us, he made us in his image and his likeness. He didn't just make us out of a whim. He made us with a purpose. God had a purpose for us, so much so that Ephesians tells us that we are his workmanship, created in advance for his good pleasure. The word there is a word that is poema. It's the word that we get the word poem from. So, so think about this. God delights in you. Tell your neighbor, God delights in you. Fearfully and wonderfully made, he has made each and every one of us. God had a purpose, but here's the bad news. That purpose, that beauty, gets a little derailed when sin enters the world. When Satan comes and tempts Eve in the garden, when sin enters into the human experience, it goes ahead and taints the beauty of God within us that, you know, it's no longer that serene, perfect thing. So much so that I can tell you, I have done case studies here, people. I have personal experience. I have never taught my son or my daughter how to be selfish. They just figured it out on their own. <laughs> my gosh, man. Today we had a, a new ball pit at the house, and it was actually working out really well in the morning because they weren't hitting each other. I'm like, wow. Natalia said, man, I should have picked this up at my mom's house a lot sooner. The peace that it afforded us. My son wasn't pushing over his sister. Now, don't get me wrong. He has incredibly awesome moments, okay? He has moments where he is just so sweet. He's kissing her. He's caressing her. But then he has these moments that I'm like, dude, where did you get this? I've told you. I didn't teach him. 
But sin, sin came into the human experience and it tainted us. It, it, it marred the beauty of what God was doing in us. And so this is why David says, behold, I was born in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. See, we, we have been wired through the, the, the spirit of this world, through the prince of this age, through sin as it entered humanity and twisted God's plan that we have been marred by sin. We are transgressing against God. Yet God in his mercy, God in his mercy makes us alive together in Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, I'm just blown away. Every time I look, I want you to go, in fact, go to your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at it in your Bibles. I want you to understand, this is actually your word. It's in your Bible. It is for you to see, live, and experience, and take hold of. It is yours. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but i love this word ready but god but god being rich in mercy somebody say mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when there are those two words we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This blows my mind every time I read it. I get excited every time that I see this. It never gets old, even when, see, God saw me as I am. God loved me as I am. God reached out to me as I am. God did not allow me in his mercy to remain as I am. Even when. You are an example of God's mercy. Regardless of how you behave towards the person who got under your skin, you need to remember and accept the reality that God has so poured out mercy towards you. He has made you an object, an example, a testimony of mercy. Friends, this is the incredible love of God. We're not redeemed by the church that we attend. We are not redeemed, okay, because of the scriptures we have memorized. We are not redeemed by our service record in church. We're not redeemed because we've been water baptized or we're Holy Ghost baptized. We are redeemed because of the love of the Father who redeemed us in his mercy. He saw me wretched poor in spirit, begging for a morsel of bread without any recourse and made me an inheritor of his kingdom. He saw me who was racked with sin and gave me the opportunity to mourn and be broken because of my brokenness. And he says, I will redeem you. God decided to forgive us our debts, even though we were offenders to him. And so to be saved by the mercy of God and then go and turn from that place and withhold mercy from your fellow image bearer is an appalling thing. It's something that's unreconcilable it, it just doesn't compute it doesn't match up the balance doesn't hit zero it just does not make sense for us to have been given God's grace encountered his mercy and then we cannot go ahead turn around and share that mercy with our fellow man 
I think some of us, we need to park ourselves and, and go and explore a little bit Matthew chapter 18. We need to go back to the parable of the king and the unforgiving servant, the, the, the unmerciful servant. How many of y'all remember this story? There was a king that Jesus is speaking about. He's giving a story to teach the lesson and express his point. There's this king that has all these servants, and he calls his servants to, to give an account for what they owe. He finds one that owes 10,000 talents. That's equivalent, okay? If we were to put that in dollars, it's the equivalent of billions of dollars. Can you imagine racking up a debt of billions of dollars? Like, I don't even know what a billion dollars look like. I don't know what a million dollars look like. Billions of dollars. And then the, the, the king shows up and says, I want you. Okay, grab him. Send him to jail because he owes me all this money. Let's sell off his kids. Let's sell off his wife. Let's sell him off into slavery. Not because selling them is going to pay back uh, the bill, but it will at least be a deterrent to others who are going down this path. It's a punishment for this person's wickedness. And in the midst of that, judgment the man cries out god please oh king have mercy on me i'll pay it back really how can you pay back billions of dollars even if this man worked his entire life even if he launched the, the most incredible product in that time would that is a long shot he owes the money and then in that moment the king says all right fine you know what forget this you're forgiven Wow. You're forgiven of billions of dollars in debt. A debt that you would never be able to repay. So what does this uh, servant do as he leaves the presence of the king? This man does something that is so appalling. He goes and he finds another servant, a com comrade of his. And he finds a person who owes him a hundred denarii, which is the equivalent of several months worth of minimum wage. Sure, it's not, a, it's not like, you know, chump change, sure. But it's a few months of minimum wage. How does that compare in light of billions of dollars? This servant jumps on the throat of that man and says, I demand that you pay me back the hundred denarii. And he starts beating him and sends the guard to come take him to jail. And he is unforgiving. Friends, how does this make sense? When the king finally finds out about this, he says, how dare this wicked servant of mine go ahead, grab him, put him in jail, reinstate the bill, and make him pay. Are we, are we catching the emphasis of what Jesus is trying to bring to the surface here? Jesus is saying, hey, any of us that will harbor and fester and, and nurture a grudge and are not willing to release others, we're going to be put back into the jail cell that is called unforgiveness. And didn't Jesus go on to say, even in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's going to teach his disciples, he goes on to say, when you guys pray, pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He goes on, he says a couple of different things, right? And then he goes on and says this, forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. And then Jesus goes and gives commentary to that. He says, all right, beyond this, let me tell you. We, we mentioned this in the prayer, but let me tell you. If you do not forgive your brother, your heavenly father will also not forgive you. We are examples of mercy. The person who forgets how much he has been forgiven is not able to develop and grow in mercy in their lives. I want you to clear this in your heads. Sometimes we say forgive and forget, right? We, we have these scriptures that talk about forgetting what has come before pressing on to what lies ahead. We have these scriptures. Well, you know what? The only person who's allowed to forget how much we have been forgiven, the trespasses that we have perpetrated against God is God himself. But we are called to remember. 
don't you forget where you came from. Because if you do, you might fall into the sin and to the snare of the enemy. How do we grow? We remember that we are examples of mercy. But then secondly, if we learn to deal with people rather than their labels, we'll grow in mercy. I constantly get calls and requests uh, at the church from missionaries, from ministries, from people that you know, are connected with our network and, and assemblies of God and those who are not, and they're looking for support. They're looking for partners to join them in their cause. And all of these men and women, I believe, you know, as you hear their stories a little bit, you get a sense that they're doing their very best to be faithful to the calling of God in their lives, to, to live out in obedience what they feel God is calling them to. I, I, I get a sense as we talk that each one of them are pursuing worthy work, that they're going after something that is, you know, serving a great cause. But while it would be my dream to be able to say, hey, I'm going to support you, you know, in prayer, but also financially to each and every one of them, it's just not possible. I have to prioritize based on our budget. I have to take a look. And really, the prioritization will come down to, you know what, are are there missions coinciding and resonating with ours? Is there a connection? Is there a common history? Is this somebody that's part of our network? Is this somebody that's already part of our, you know, circle of friends and influence? Is it somebody that actually makes sense for us? Because I cannot answer every single one of the requests. In essence, in a way, you know, I cannot have mercy financially on their need for every single situation. Just because I know their title, just because I know their label, I know where they're ministering, where they're going, I understand the parameters of everything that is associated with them. It's not enough. In a, in a different way, if you think about this, in a different perspective, consider the woman at the well that Jesus met in Samaria. He's going through with his disciples, and he makes it a point to go exactly the route that everybody who was Jewish at the time would avoid to go around Samaria. He, he crosses into Samaria because he wants to go have an encounter with this woman. Jesus has a purpose, for he knows this lady. How do I know this? John chapter 4, if you go there, you'll see her story. As she comes to draw water in the middle of the day, as the sun is beating down upon her, she's at a time coming to draw water where every other lady has gone from that place. There's nobody there. It's hot. It's difficult. She's there. Why? Because she's trying to avoid the stigma that's associated with her labels. She's a Samaritan woman of ill repute. And here comes Jesus. He sits down by the well and he starts having an interchange with this woman. So much so that she's surprised. What are you doing talking? You're a Jewish person talking to me, a Samaritan woman. It's odd because our cultures don't mix. You shouldn't be talking to me. But then additionally, you're a man. I'm a woman. We should, you shouldn't be addressing me in public like this. Having this exchange. Jesus is breaking cultural norms with a woman of ill reputation who had been divorced five times and now is living with a man who is not her husband, the sixth. How do we know this? Because he tells her, he says, hey, woman, go get your husband and bring him back here. She says, I don't have a husband. That's right, you don't. You've you've had five before. And the one you're with is not your own. But go and get him. And he starts to share with her about her life. He starts to read her mail, read her inbox and her email and explain to her her situation and what has happened in her life. And all of a sudden, this lady realizes he knows me. He knows me. See, Jesus knew that this woman had been used and abused. Women didn't have the right to divorce men in that time. It was these men who would divorce her and give her and serve her a certificate of divorce. And here's this lady who's been used and abused by one husband, a second husband, a third husband. After they've used her and did what they wanted with her, now they don't want her anymore. And they want to pursue something else for whatever reason, whatever thing that is not amenable to them, she is gone. 
And here this woman is, not even with a man that is her husband now. Maybe she's going to fall back into the same situation. Jesus knows her, and he understands her circumstances. And now he goes beyond the labels. He says, lady, I know your situation. Friends, we have to deal with sin. If you did not hear last week's message, go back and listen to it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We need the righteousness of God. He is righteousness. We are his righteousness when we come into relationship with Jesus. We are becoming righteousness as Jesus is working in our lives. And he is restoring righteousness into this world. There is something that is happening as God is working in and through us. We need to deal with sin. But let me just tell you this. What if we were to look into the why behind somebody's sin? What if we were to consider not the labels of a person? Oh, he's just a drug addict. Oh, she is, you know, a gossiper. Oh, this person is an adulterer. Oh, this person is just a reviler, a drunkard. This person is a no good, whatever, fill in the blank. Instead of us looking at the labels, what if we were to just look at the reason why they're actually sinning? What if we could look at the person and not the label and get closer to them? I wonder, would mercy rise up inside of us? See, if we were to get close to the person that's giving you that outburst of anger, and you could just get close to that person and realize that spewing out of them are these outbursts, but behind it is this deep sense of sorrow because they were abandoned, maybe you might be more inclined to be merciful. Instead of you just saying, oh, this person, oh, that's just the, the, the town harlot. She's just loose. Or he's just, you know, a guy that goes around with many body counts. A person who's given over to pervasive lust. That's just a, you know, a pornographer. Whatever it is. What if we could look behind the person and the labels and say, maybe is there some sexual, and find out there was some sexual abuse here. Could we now approach this person in a different light with some more mercy? When we just relegate people down to their basic sins, when we go ahead and just box them in to their worst moments, forgetting that people are works in progress, we're very quick to write people off. Jesus looked at this woman and says, I know you. I know what's happened, what's led to this. But let me tell you what I also know about you. That you're not the sum of your failures. That sin, that failure, that your mess is only a stepping stone in your journey. It does not have to define you, but it could be part of your story. And this woman goes out and evangelizes the whole city. Because Jesus Christ cared to look beyond her label and he saw her heart. If we want to grow in mercy, let's look beyond people's sins. Let's look behind the reason why they're sinning. Let's come and develop relationship with them. Because after all, that's what it's all about. Relationship with the Father and relationship with others. We cannot just be about what we are not about, but we need to show the world what we are about, and that's going to take us going beyond the sin and looking to the person. Enough said. Number three, you want to grow in mercy, then you have to abide in the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. How many of your Bibles say, blessed are those who behave mercifully? Blessed are those who do acts of mercy. Blessed are those who have a long list of uh, uh, accolades that are merciful. Is that what your Bible say, anybody? It says, blessed are the merciful. There's a very subtle difference that Jesus is getting to at here. He's addressing our substance as opposed to our behavior. 
Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. He's putting a finger on our hearts as opposed to what we can do through our hands. Jesus Christ, once again, is upping the ante. He is fulfilling the law. He is saying, I'll give you one better. The bottom line, no one can produce this kind of mercy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're off the hook, man. Nobody can produce this kind of mercy, the kind that brings glory and honor to God, independent of God. None of us can do this on our own. We cannot do it. Like the branch that is dependent on the vine, we have to be dependent upon the Father in order to produce mercy. Consider the revelation that was given in the Old Testament. It was first given to Moses, but you can find it in Jeremiah, in Joel. You can find it in other prophets. You can find it all over the place. Several times there's this revelation about who God is. It first comes to Moses in Exodus 34. After the people of God who have been miraculously led out of Egypt, plagues upon plagues, miracles upon miracles, have orchestrated you know, their release from Egypt... These people are out in the wilderness. Moses is up on the mountain having communion and relationship with God and how he can lead and direct and guide the people that God has delivered out of the clutches of slavery and abuse and offense and debt. These people are down at the base of the mountain. Hey, Aaron, let's worship something like this guy Moses. Is he dead? I don't know what's up. He's He's gone. How about we uh, make ourselves an idol here and let's, uh, let's have some fun. And the brother of Moses, the one who's supposed to be the priest, the example. Yeah, give me all your gold earrings. Give me your stuff. Let's do this. Boom, they make a golden calf and they start worshiping this idol and all this other stuff. And then God goes through all these things with Moses. Moses is interceding with the father and God says, fine. I won't just let them go off on their own. I'll go with you guys. Moses, you've interceded. You've reminded me of my name. You've remembered the faithfulness and the indebtedness that I have forgiven. You have done all these things. Moses, you're looking beyond their labels as idolaters. And you are looking to me as the author of mercy. As he who is merciful. As God is passing by Moses. Because he was bold enough to ask God, show me your glory. As God puts him to hide in the cleft of the rock and he's passing by, it tells us in uh, Exodus 36, verse six, 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is merciful at his core. In the midst of that offense, God, as he's passing by Moses, who gets a privilege of seeing an aspect of God, for no man can see God face to face and live. God passes by, allows him to catch the backside, the, the trail of his glory. And he says, I am merciful, abounding in love, faithful. That is said again and again and again in the Old Testament. Just notice, you'll see this passage show up again and again and again. God is saying to multiple prophets, to multiple people at different times in the history of Israel, he's saying the message, I want you to get this, I am merciful. See, you, you can look at your issues. How many of you guys have said, God, I will never again do this thing and do this sin. I will never again break your heart, Father. Anybody? And I know you didn't. Because I never have, right? And we go through it again. We fail again. We fall flat on our face. But let me tell you, church, God has more mercy than we have mistakes. Because he is mercy. It's who he is. You've heard me say this before. Christianity is all about relationship, whereas religion is all about behaviors. God is trying to get the people to know, look, you want to grow in mercy. Abide in the one who is merciful. 
Abide in the source, the fountain of mercy. Stay close, connected to that vine. Because unless you do, then it will not be the outflow of your life. If we do not press in to connect with God, I don't want you to leave this service and say, you know what? Uh, you, you tell your family member, your friend, hey, how was service today? It was good. Oh, what did pastor preach on? Oh, he preached upon mercy. Oh, was he for it or against it? He was for it. Okay, I know what he preached. So bottom line, he asked you to uh, be more merciful, right? I don't want you to leave this place thinking I got to be more merciful. Just realize in your heart, you will fail. But instead, can you leave this place, say, I'm going to abide. I'm going to remain. I'm going to draw close. I'm going to stay connected. I'm going to press in more and more. I'm going to hunger and thirst to be in relationship with the one who is mercy. Because as you stay connected to him, he will produce mercy in your life. I can latch on to that message because I can do that. I can't be the person back on October 7th, the very following Saturday. Worship team, you can come on back. I can't be the person who can muster this up in that moment on October 7th, 2006, when Marie went to her husband's funeral. I would not be able to be the person if I were to muster this up in my own behavior and say that this is my own disposition, that I'm going to just knuckle this and and keep going at this and persevere at this to do this and produce this in my life. I would not be able to. As this woman stepped into her husband's funeral, she and her children watched in amazement as the Amish families, about half of the 75 mourners came to that funeral service and stood alongside Marie and her two children to mourn the loss of that man. Mind you, they lost children of their own other children from their community were maimed and forever impacted because of this man's actions. Yet they came and stood alongside them in the midst of their blinding grief, despite the horrific crimes he had committed. The Amish came to show mercy and to mourn Charles Carl Roberts as a husband and as a dad. Can you imagine? There was a reporter, not a reporter, I'm sorry, a fire department chief chaplain who was there by the name of Bruce Porter and he attended the service. He was profoundly moved. He said this, it's the love, the heartfelt forgiveness they have towards the family. I broke down and I cried seeing it displayed. And the same was said of Marie Roberts, she was deeply moved at that act of mercy. See, friends, I invite you to stand with me as we contemplate what Jesus is asking us. If you're going to truly bring this scripture into your house, if you're going to tie it around the tablets of your heart, tie it around your neck, burn it in the tablets of your heart. If you're going to really bring it home, then you got to understand that mercy, when you embody it, when you live in relationship with the Father, it produces all kinds of new mercies in your heart. For one, it gives you a sense of assurance. There is no amount of work that we could ever do that would ever be able to afford us the privilege of experiencing mercy. There's no amount of striving or behavior. There's no amount of degrees and accolades that you guys could achieve. Nothing. It's by his grace. When we step into realizing who we are in him and how we are examples of his mercy, it gives us an assurance. That's a new mercy that blossoms in our lives. 
that we can be secure in our relationship with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Ghost. It produces a confidence within us that we, even though we will have a mistake or two or three, that we can, like the writer of Hebrews says, boldly approach the throne of grace. We can boldly come before a God who is mercy. Man, how many of us, we have been hit with the spirit of shame and condemnation. Let me just tell you that that's not an outflow of mercy in your life. Press into the one who is merciful and allow the mercy of being able to be confident to approach him even in the midst of our failures and faults. Man, it's a mercy that will blossom. When we come to him and let him grow mercy in our lives, we have this real, real proof of who we are. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then, right? If we abide in the vine, then we produce fruit. If we love him, we get to experience salvation. When we see mercies being evident in our lives and growing and flourishing within our lives, it gives us this certainty that salvation has reached our hearts. Some of us are being tossed to and fro by the enemy. Am I truly of the Lord? Am I really saved? Is he mine? Am I his? You know, am I going to make it? And we're just worried about this and that. When we start seeing mercy overflowing in our lives, it means that we have come into relationship with the Father. And we've incorporated salvation into our hearts. But not only that, this one I think everyone knows. There's this mercy that blossoms as we step into relationship with the Father. That the very relationships of our lives experience the mercy of God. Every man, every woman that you're married should say amen right here. Because God puts you in the context of very difficult offense. You're going to be offended again and again. He called us to be in relationship with each other. But as we abide in him, remembering that we are an example, as we look to the person and not the label, we get to experience mercies that right the relationships around us, that chooses to forgive, that chooses to release. I don't know how you need to respond today. Maybe God's putting somebody on your heart. Maybe he's recalling a situation in your mind that you got to repent of and turn around from. Maybe he's putting somebody on your heart that you just cannot deal with their quirks, but he's inviting you to show them some mercy. Maybe he's putting somebody on your heart that has offended you and hurt you. And he's asking you, will you pray for them? See, David, when they were trying to kill him and persecute him, he cried out to God and said, Lord, bless them. He put on sackcloth and ashes as he mourned their circumstance. And he cried out to God to bless his enemies. Maybe God is trying to get your attention today and say, I want you to truly drop the act. But I want you to start praying for this person that has wronged you in the way that you want me to answer prayers for you. Drop the labels. Look at the person. I don't know how God's asking you to respond today, but I'm going to leave that in the very capable hands of the Holy Spirit. That he will speak into your heart. Maybe you don't have to look too far. You got to look at your spouse or your children, your boss or your colleagues. 
just say, Lord, forgive me for how I've behaved. I've been forgiven much. How dare I not forgive myself? And as every eye is closed and head bowed today, if there's anybody in this place, you've never come into an intentional relationship with this God who is merciful. You have never known his son, Jesus, who is the very example of mercy, who as he's being beaten and abused on the cross, cries out to God, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. If this is you, and you need Jesus to enter into your life, to apply even while you were dead in your trespasses the mercy of God into your life if that's you today I want you to just raise your hand I want to pray with you go ahead this is your moment don't don't leave this place there's still time you got things you can do later on today it'll wait if there's anybody that you've walked away from the faith You need to press back into a relationship with this merciful God. And I want you to just make this your altar right now. Say, God, today, I recommit my life to you. I re-invite your presence and your lordship into my heart. Father, I thank you for this word. Now it's all about the evidences of you moving in our lives, the attitudes of our hearts. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We will fail at every turn. But even in our weakness, you are made strong. I pray that you would multiply your strength within us, Father, to persevere in mercy. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Father, to forgive ourselves to forgive those who are closest to us, to forgive those who have wronged us, to forgive those, Lord, who have abused us, to forgive those who have overlooked us, to forgive those who are completely oblivious to what they have done towards us. Help us, Father, to step out of the prison and into the freedom of mercy overflowing in your precious and mighty name. May the love of our God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the empowering of his Holy Spirit be with you as we worship him and go from this place. God bless you. Feel free to come and and, and seek prayer for whatever thing you may need. May God bless you. We love you. Let's worship him.